Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. On the Logistics of Logistics, I talk to experts in logistics and transportation, warehousing, fulfillment, supply chain, and of course, technology. And during these interviews, I'm always the one asking the dumb questions. I ask the dumb questions so you don't have to. Today's topic is eliminating freight fraud with my friend Michael Caney. Michael is the Chief Commercial Officer of Highway, a technology company that identifies who's really hauling your freight. This helps you reduce fraud and supercharge your digital bookings. Freight fraud is a huge problem in our space. Michael and the Highway team are the solution. Please check out our conversation. How's it going, Michael? Hey, Joe. Good to see you, man. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you about this topic. Every other person I talk to is complaining about freight fraud, and a lot of them talk about your company as the solution. So please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. Yep. My name is Michael Caney. I am the Chief Commercial Officer of Highway. Highway is based in Dallas, Texas. I sit in beautiful Chattanooga, Tennessee, where I've been for six years. So Very nice. So what does Highway do? Yeah, that's a great question. Highway does a lot of things. I would say principally, Highway exists to eliminate freight fraud and reduce friction between freight brokers and motor carriers by establishing carrier identity. Like principally, that's what we do. Now, a lot of things happen because of that. You end up in these secure ecosystems, you end up being able to trade data, you end up being able to do a lot of things in that secure pipe. But it, what we say is it starts with identity, right? And so for anybody that's listening, if you think about the way that you interact with the world, you interact with what's called KYC every day, know your customer. And what Highway's done is taken KYC cybersecurity principles from the rest of the world, which is not new, and introduce them in the B2B relationship between freight brokers and motor carriers. Yep. I interviewed Jordan Graff, the founder over there at Highway, not so long ago. And I'll make sure I put a link in the show notes so people can listen to that. But I thought, I think we called that topic, freight has an identity crisis. And it was... A little play on words, of course, but it gets back to just what you mentioned. We do not always know who we're working with. And I've seen all sorts of posts on LinkedIn. And I'm not even I'm not even saying I agree with some of the ways people are handling this, but somebody was writing a big long post about getting getting ripped off. And they said I tell all my shippers, go out and look at the MC number, look at the company name, get to know the driver. And one of our customers, this is a freight broker speaking, didn't do that. And then they loaded a truck that was, I think, a double broker. Now it all got delivered. And then the guy said, I'm not paying the guy who I was who contracted it. I'm not paying the, the other guy because I'm not rewarding this kind of behavior. And I just feel bad for so that other that second carrier, they thought, oh, yeah, this is just business as a load. And we picked it up on time, delivered it. They did nothing wrong. Yes. And, and you look and that guy, that second carrier, I don't know this. You, we'll get into this as we talk. That second carrier could go back to the freight broker and say, pay me. Or they could go to the shipper and say, pay me. And it's this is a problem that none of us want to deal with. Yeah. So it's noise. It's a lot of noise. It costs a lot of time. And we can get into this. There's a lot of costs, reputational damage. Oh, in the scenario you mentioned, maybe I'm getting ahead of where you want to go. Every shipper agreement asks for indemnification and asks the underlying motor carrier of the broker to indemnify and waive Carmack and right. All shipper contracts are, I'm going to give you one load and you're going to give me the rights to your firstborn child. It's the way they all read. But nothing is going to stop that carrier from calling the shipper if they don't get paid. doesn't matter what the contract says. So the reputational risk involved with a freight broker not being able to control their network is massive because the carrier doesn't care what they sign in the agreement. If they're not getting paid, they're calling your shipper. Like they're calling your shipper. Yep. And normally there's big problems in the logistics space and it doesn't become front page news for the rest of the world. During COVID, our problem became the world's problem. Everyone was like, Hey, tell me about logistics and supply chain, Joe. <laughs> I, I never gave a damn, but now I care. 
My, my toilet paper didn't show up. What is supply chain? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the- when you start seeing emails due to supply chain issues, yes, yes, we can't fill in the blank. It's, oh, all of a sudden, I've been in this business 20 years. All of a sudden, my friends want to know what I do. And the same thing, though, has happened with double brokering and freight fraud. And we'll get into all of the type, different types of fraud. I saw an article in the Wall Street Journal. And I was like, okay, we've arrived. And we've arrived in the wrong way. Because basically, our, our the issue in our became front page news. And I can always get a sense for what's going on in the world of logistics by who people recommend I talk to. I think Jordan Graff, the founder over at Highway, was mentioned as, Joe, you need to talk to Jordan. I think I got that 10 times. I talked to Ann Ranke on my podcast, head of TIA. We talked, we, everyone, we talked about a, a number of things, including highway. So a lot of companies, a lot of people believe highway is the solution to this, but we'll get to that in a minute. First, Michael Caney, tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you joined highway. And I've looked at your LinkedIn. You've been there, done that, got the, you had some options. So when and why did you join highway? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, I love telling the story because I really think my career is just, I think I'm really blessed and I think it's just good people investing in me. And so I try to pay that forward and that's been my career. So I grew up in a suburb of Dallas, Texas. Didn't really know what I wanted to be when I grew up. Thought I wanted to go to Bible college of all things. Went to junior college for two years. We called it Harvard on the highway. Anybody that knows Eastfield Community College in Mesquite, Texas, that's where I went for a couple of years. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to be. And then I went to UT Dallas <clears throat> to finish my degree. Very nice. Predominantly science and engineering school. I have a business degree that I have 18 hours of math. I wouldn't do that again. I have a, a bachelor's of science and business. It was a terrible experience. I didn't enjoy all that math. But so from there, like I, I met my wife there. I got engaged and, and I needed a job. And I grew up in an entrepreneurial family. And the thought process I had was that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go... I want to make an impact on people and I'm going to do that through the sales channel, right? If I can help people, if I can sell, then I'll impact the company's revenue. They'll let me teach people how to do th- sell and I'll be able to have a positive impact on people by being a sales leader. That was my initial thing. And I got recruited by Bear Transportation in Dallas. They sold to ArcBest several years ago. Yep. That's where I spent the first nine years of my career. And I was like, they called me. I was like, what? I don't understand. What is a, what is a transportation broker? And I remember being on the phone, picturing, isn't there a thing where you just call the truck and they just show up and pick your stuff up? I don't understand what you're explaining to me. And so I went in for an interview and I was like, I'll do anything for a year and I need a job. I'm engaged. So, you know, they're talking to me about commission and what people are doing. So I took the job and that's how I... The new wife wants to live indoors and eat every day. Is that the... the Yeah. Yeah. All that stuff. Like married my wife, got some of her student loans, all those good things. So it's okay. I better figure out how to pay for all this. And literally, I've just always been naturally curious. I really enjoy helping people. I really enjoy solving problems. And I was a cradle to grave broker, right? Like we, we wanted to be TQL. Like TQL was- it was the only way there was at that time. It was that and it was backhaulers. And there was a lot of folks from backhaulers that hadn't come back on the scene and started what we call in the industry, these baby backhauler companies, because they were still waiting out some of their stuff from the backhaulers exit to Robinson. So anyway, you had- TQL and then like the baby backhauler companies, right? And those were the two models. One of the baby backhaulers became Coyote, one of the one of the greats. Yeah. Coyote and Command, those were the two that came back, right? So Jeff starts Coyote, Paul Loeb starts Command. And then even from there, right? You have AFN and you have, and all of those companies, Echo, like they've all splintered off. There's a tree. Yeah. I used to actually train people, Joe, and I would write six degrees of American backhaulers on the board. And I would do this thing where I would take the top 100 brokers and trace all of them back to... American backhaulers. So it was just a fun thing I used to do when I was training. So anyway, I spent nine years at Bayer. was a cradle grade broker, two phones on my desk, literally the whole thing. I had the opportunity to do some business model innovation there. And then I decided that I wanted to spend my 30s working for different people and filling in my knowledge gap. So I got a chance to work for a guy named Greg Sanders, who's an industry guy on the board at TIA. I got a chance to work for a gentleman named Scott Pruneau when I was at Redwood, who's the CEO of ITS Logistics. Phenomenal leader. Taught me so much about being a leader. I'm really grateful to Scott. And I got coached by Joe McGinley at a couple of companies. I got to come to Chattanooga and run a business here. I got to spend some time at Freight Waves. I probably learned more in that 12 months than I did in a lot of scenarios. 
and just I love this business. And so that's how I ended up at Highway. I was running a business in Savannah on a little two-year contract there. And I met Jordan because he he helped me get the back office going at this little business I took over when he was still at Triumph Pay. And so then when he left Triumph Pay, I was like, man, what are you doing? What are you up to? And that kind of gets to how I joined Highway. So he showed me Highway and I just saw it and I was like, man, this is everything I've been asking my current vendor to do for the last six years. I just keep in mind, I'm a freight broker. I've been doing this since 04. I've been dealing with fraud and compliance and working with every vendor in the industry most of my career and going, nobody's solving the problem the right way. And Jordan showed it to me and I was like, dude, this is the deal. So I exited that business and I just loved what Jordan was doing so much that I decided to come do this with him. And it was really two things. One, he's a really good human being. He treated me really well when he was at Triumph and I was his customer. And he didn't have to. I was taking over a small business and he treated me like I was a billion dollar broker and he didn't have to do that. And so there's a combination of the way that he builds a culture and serves people and the problem that Highway solves. That's how I got here. Let's go do that in five minutes. We get that done. And I like that Jordan came from banking. He came from Triumph Pay, right? So he had that sense for how does money move and how do, and by the way, the banking system, there's always, there's little problems, but for the most part, it works really well. I can right now, I can pay you via Venmo. I can pay you via Zelle, PayPal. We know pretty much how to avoid fraud in that. Now I'm saying it's never there, but it's a rare, right. if I was going to send you some money this afternoon, I'd have no doubt that we could do it right without you calling me later and going, Hey, I never got that money, Joe. <laughs> so banking has, has solved this problem. And again, when I was still working in logistics day to day, we never had a time where somebody um, tried to defraud us. And that was going back 10 years now. All of a sudden in the last few years, it exploded. Do you know, is there a reason why freight fraud and all its forms blew up in the last few years? Yeah, I think Jordan explains this much better because he's got all these frameworks, but like essentially you need two or three things for fraud to to be possible and flourish. Is And one is just like opportunity and incentive. And so some of my friends are going to get mad at me, but like we did this to ourselves. And what I mean by that is we created a, a big opportunity for fraud in that for the longest time, fill out a paper packet, get an insurance certificate, okay. Then we had a vendor that put that packet online and carriers could type things in and they would go get the insurance certificate for us. Fine. And that's pretty much how it existed until highway. And what brokers did was they would use one of those services, only two of them, and then they would do all of this other work on their own. They would look at two or three websites. They would look at the FMCSA. And essentially what you were trying to do is you were trying to train lots of people to be basically like risk management people. You got brokers, carrier reps, and you're going, hey, before you book a load, you need to make sure that they fill out the packet and have insurance. And then there's this decision tree you need to follow. I still have the PowerPoint deck. It's like 16 pages. And you need to go look at all these things. You go look at miles driven. You need to go look at the incorporate. You got to do all these things. But the broker is incentivized to move the load as fast as possible. And it's not always margin. Everybody wants to talk about margin. It's not always margin, right? It's sometimes it's speed, right? And the shipper's threatening to take the freight away if the broker doesn't have a certain service level. Combine that with, we're going to put that on the internet on load boards that aren't secure. So we have this massive process, right? And there's no KYC in any of it. And what is KYC? Know your customer, know your business. Yes, yes. And by the way, I've said this before on my podcast, and this is not to um, victim blame, <laughs> but um, shippers to, to a large extent, and maybe this is a good thing, look at carriers as interchangeable cogs. I stopped working with, I stopped working with Michael today. I started working with Joe. Joe's the same as Michael. There, there's no difference. Their truck's a truck's a truck, right? Brokers did the same thing. Here's where the pickup, here's where the drop-off, here's the freight, the truck's a truck. And we don't spend enough time working with the same people over and over again. And all of the great new technologies, which let us go faster, better for less money, allows us even less human interaction. Now, I always say, if 
I'm working with Michael for the last five years. I have very little chance of being ripped off by you. But that's just that the nature of our relationships these days. It tends to be, oh, I was working with Michael Caney and he is awesome. He's a good friend. I would highly recommend him. But you know what? He's $30 more expensive. So I went with this guy. He doesn't talk on the phone much, but he will text me and he doesn't have a website. Yeah. Yeah. But it's 30 bucks. <laughs> it's 30 right? bucks. is 30 bucks. Come on. What am I going to do? I got to make a living here. It's a terrible analogy. If anybody's seen the movie The Hangover, when they all get roofied on the roof, and Zach Galifianakis, I don't know. The guy seemed like a real straight shooter. It's like the same thing. Like you found this guy on the internet, right? On a website that does no vetting. And he gave you an MC number, an insurance certificate. And you're just like, yeah, that sounds like a great yeah. idea. We also put individual brokers in a bad place where if they can't find somebody from the trusted list of carriers in our network that we've vetted, you go, but I did find somebody outside it and I'm going to lose this deal and that's going to impact my income. So I'm willing to take a little chance. And by the way, for the most part, you can take that chance and be okay. I'm going to make this number up nine out of 10 times. Yeah, absolutely. 14 out of 15 times. And I'm willing to take that risk because life is risky and <laughs> it it started to cost us. And so Talk about the different types of freight fraud. So I use this, the blanket term freight fraud, but there's more than one thing going wrong in that. Why don't you give us a few examples of what that is? Yeah. And you said something earlier that I pushed back on a little bit. Like the way that brokers actually evolved, great freight brokers, is by doing business with carriers over and over. Yeah. If you look at American backhaulers and you look at their story, and you look at, these are guys you could talk to, like Dave Broering at NFI, Mark Ford, who runs Blue Grace, like Drew Herpich, who, who runs, he's chief commercial officer at Nolan now. These are guys that, that they built those businesses by knowing a carrier in their network and helping that carrier find freight. Like that's a whole niche of business. I was a cradle grave broker. What lanes do you want? I was a cradle grave broker. So I had to move as many loads as possible on my own until I got an assistant and the only way that I could move three or 400 loads a month by myself was by using the same carriers yes. over and over. And this guy would take two and this guy would take five and this guy would take 10 and this guy would take one a day, that kind of thing, right? So when we talk about fraud and how we got here, one of the things that we moved away from was like, like business fundamentals. Like we stopped doing that, especially during COVID, right? You get this big boom. We put all this stuff on the internet. You have people selling digital freight matching. And so what you do is you have this low barrier of entry to trucking. And so everybody's like, this is great. Like I can just get an MC number and I can just get freight from all these people. Yep. So I would, I think what brokers, the question that brokers are really asking, like those guys that have been in the business a long time, I think they do want to do a better job. I don't think anybody's out there trying to do a bad job. I think there is this return of like, how do I get back to fundamentals? Because the best brokers actually treat carriers really well. Yeah, I agree. And again, I think it's, when I say they don't use them the same, I've, I've joked about this many times on the podcast. People used to say to me, on the, oh, we have 25,000 carriers in your network. And then I would, in my mind, always say, how many checks did you write? And when I would ask last month, the checks was always 300. And that's how we've traditionally done business. And I think the digital freight matching, to your point, changed that. And I would also say, when it gets times get tough and you have shippers saying, I want this lower price, you're, you sometimes find yourself fishing in a place you've never fished before. <laughs> yeah. And that's where we're more likely to get screwed. And I've talked to shippers about this too, because we only sell to freight brokers and we I'll consult with the shipper. I'll talk to a shipper. I'll help them build their program with highway. But we only sell to freight brokers. And, and one of the things I say is, look, man, like if you call a broker at 3.30 on a Friday, threatening that if he doesn't get this load covered, there's four brokers right behind him willing to, like, what do you think he's going to do? Yeah. So one of the things that, that we've got to like just clean up as an industry is this incentive alignment. Like we've got to get really transparent. And to your point, like number of carriers in your network should not be your value proposition, right? And your ability to vet carriers shouldn't be your value proposition. That's my job. I'm going to take care of that for you. You go build a network. You go build something unique for a shipper. Highway should make this table stakes for you. Just like you have Norton or McAfee or some antivirus or you don't call your shipper and be like, we've got the best email spam filter. Like why? That shouldn't be unique. 
honestly, I think it should highway or, and I don't even know if you guys have competition at this one minute, but not really in, in my mind, if I was a shipper and I was vetting it, it, I've helped, I've advised large shippers on how to select three PLs in the past. And I would say this is table stakes because be. there are a lot of companies that are moving stuff that has a hundred thousand dollars worth of, and again, I'm, I'm thinking of mobile phones or PlayStations, stuff that sells very quickly in the, in the, in the black market. So getting back to it, describe some of these types of freight fraud. Uh, start with double brokering because I think you hear the term a lot. I don't think everyone knows exactly what that means. What is double brokering? So double brokering is really interesting because I, I would say double brokering exists on a spectrum, right? Yep. And, and, in it, and it's, I call it the wink, like we're just going to look the other way, is the asset carrier with 50 or 100 trucks, which by the way, just education for everybody, a carrier's model is to overbook their network and decide what loads they want to pick up. Like anybody that's being honest with you will tell you. You almost have to do that given the economics of the business. So like I still have the article that I printed in 2004. I save it and pull it out every now and then. And it was an article that Transport Topics did or Logistics Dive or one of those older publications on the trend of motor carriers starting freight brokerages. Because the, the model became, well, I'm not going to just overbook and give it back, I'm going to actually just overbook and like I'll filter the overflow through my brokerage. I know a brokerage here in Chattanooga, they had $180 million top line business and it was all overflow and none of the customers knew that it was being brokered. So I took over a business. This is how I got to know Kevin Clanch, unfortunately. You should ask Kevin the story sometime. I took over a business yeah, here. Kevin Clanch from Ryder is the one who- Yeah. And you come on. Good friend of mine. Ryder's great. And they're a customer of yours for good reason. They're top brokerage, top rate brokerage, among other things. <laughs> Yeah, I took over a business here in Chattanooga and Ryder was one of their biggest customers and they didn't know, Ryder didn't know it was being brokered. It was a bunch of asset guys that had this whole model. Like, oh yeah, it's on our trucks. And I had to go to Ryder and go, look, I'm the new guy. We got a level set here. We're brokering this freight. So there's some double brokering that some people might think of as legitimate, right? And, but it doesn't make it okay. You need to have a co-brokering agreement. They need to make sure, like there's certain things you have to make sure they're in place. Then there's double brokering that's just straight up fraud. I don't have a truck. I maybe have a dually on an MCS 150. I maybe have one class eight truck. Or I got a scheduled auto policy with two trucks on it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to intentionally go and take freight from different places for the sole purpose of double brokering that freight. Sole purpose of double brokering. So let me ask a question just because just, uh, not everybody, not everyone has your background in this. So if I'm a broker and I say I gave it to a carrier A and carrier A is to move it on their trucks. That's the agreement that we have. And then carrier A says, we're busy. I'm going to, I'm going to broker it to an owner operator that we work with a lot, but not necessarily showing that owner operator works for them or is assigned to them. Now, is that considered double brokering? So what I would say is like that, the nature of that is double brokering. Listen, like we'll go back to the rider scenario. When rider, a 3PL, there is no government designation for 3PL. Like they are functioning as a broker, like a managed transportation company that, that takes over a managed transportation contract and then engages brokers. They are double brokering. But the difference is if I were to do this with rider, if I were back in another shop, I would sign a co-brokering agreement. Like rider or any other managed transportation company would disclose to their shipper these are the brokers I'm working with. These brokers have agreed to these basic terms, these insurance requirements. They've agreed to hold these indemnification clauses in their contracts with their motor carriers, right? So yes, it's double brokering. I used to do this with Steam Logistics in Chattanooga. We would co-broker. Like when I was running a domestic business, I didn't have a Dre shop. I didn't have an international business. I had a co-broker agreement with Steam. They don't own one asset. I used to give them all my international business and all my Dre business. But everybody knew how that was everybody up front, knew. every upfront paperwork. And by the way, there's a ton of carriers that say we we have 35 of our own trucks and 110 owner operators that we work with. Other companies I've talked to say we only have owner operators working with us and they're still called a carrier, right? Yep. So it depends. So what we look at is who's insuring it. Is it like who where is the equipment? Is it being inspected? Where's the MC associated with? And, and where that comes into play is when we go do VIN verifications and we say, okay, we see that you're running 90 trucks and you have four insured. 
<laughs> who's insuring the other? That's so that's one of the ways you're getting at this. So yeah, so double brokering. If I double brokering, it probably in many cases happens without anybody thinking of trying to rip anybody off. It's just it happened, and this was the way we did business for a long time, and we didn't worry about it. It's just every once in a while where you're uninsured. <laughs> I, I had a carrier. I hate to admit this, but early in my career. And they moved a lot of California freight for me. And they worked with first-generation Americans of a certain nationality, and they spoke their native language. And I knew they were double brokering my freight. Like in my heart of hearts, I knew it. But they did a really good job. And so I looked the other way. Well, didn't burn you. Enough, if it didn't like, burn you, you were like, nobody's getting hurt. This is just the way we're little. But now people are getting hurt. Yes. Now people are getting hurt. And so what happened in COVID is you had a lot of what, if we can call it this, this semi-legitimate double brokering. I'm going to represent myself as a carrier. I'm going to take more freight than I can actually haul with the two trucks that I have. And I'm going to give them to all my buddies. And I'm going to pay those guys. Why? Because freight's 4 and $5 a mile. So now what's happening in a post-COVID world? Those guys are now breaking bad because they can't make the same money Right. Like the joke is you, you go Google this like G face baby or whatever this TikTok double broker guy is that that's real popular. There are people that were making legitimate money double brokering during COVID. And now that rates are beginning to normalize, they want to make the same amount of money and still double broker. So the, the only answer is to not pay the carrier. Right. I would also say, and, and, and this is not to, I think there's a million little places where it can go wrong. I, I know a lot of companies are using people in Europe and in Latin America and doing very well. Again, I'm, Lean Solutions Group has always been a sponsor of mine. They've always done, they do things right. And I know you mentioned Joe McGinley, HubTech, all the other companies out there, they're doing a great job on that back office stuff. But then there's people in Eastern Europe. All it takes is you're overseas. It's hard to even catch somebody. The U.S. authorities catch somebody if they're not even in the country and they are somehow involved in the transaction. Yeah. So the so are you going to go catch somebody? They say, yeah, the guy's in Ukraine somewhere. Good luck getting him. <laughs> yeah. No, we've gone deep with. I want to avoid like chess beating on talking to the government agencies, but we've done some work and are doing some work with the government. And you're right, like a U.S. based theft task force, like they can't go reach into. Pakistan and Moldova and the Ukraine, where some of the control, right? The actual, the fraud is originating. Right? So now you got to get Homeland involved and it's this whole thing. What I would say though, is we can catch all that. We see all of that. We're blacklisting IPs by the hundreds daily. Yep. I want to get to that in a second. I want to talk about the solution, which I know you guys have. So double broker we talked about. And again, I think there's a lot of different flavors of it. And most of it doesn't harm us. But now it is coming back to bite us because of many reasons. And I'm, I'm not not one, but you mentioned digital freight matching. I think the, the global nature of our freight, not necessarily, even our domestic freight now is oftentimes touched by people outside the US and they know they're outside US jurisdictions. Now, there's also ID theft where people are actually stealing identities. Talk about that for a sec. It's identity theft. It's more impersonation, right? Like, but because a lot of times the un, the underlying motor carrier still exists, and the bad actor is doing try is trying to impersonate that carrier long enough to not get caught. Right. So there's, there's a couple different ways this works. There's one other thing about double brokering we should talk about, which is diversion. So so something that's getting really popular, and as I understand it, somebody can email or comment and say I'm wrong. But theft is criminal. Diversion is civil. So I didn't steal your load. I double brokered it to another carrier. I gave them a warehouse address. I, and now I'm not going to tell you where that is until you wire me $10,000. That sounds like extortion at least. <laughs> oh, it's extortion. But, but I didn't steal it. I just took it somewhere else. <laughs> I didn't yeah. deliver it. So you get into the... But that's what can The legal happen. nuance is there. Yeah, but so what... What we're really talking about is someone trying to gain control of a shipment, either literally gain control of the cargo or at least gain control and insert themselves into the transaction. So you ask about identity theft. One of the things that happens 
is a customer will, or a, a bad actor will just try to impersonate a carrier. Right. And so they'll fish loads, right? They'll change one letter in a domain. Oh yeah. They'll I've use... seen where they can change. So if it said Michael.caney at highway, they change it to Michael.caney and then highway might just be spelled a little differently. And yeah, they'll change the I and highway to a one. Yeah. And we don't, it's not perceptible. If you look closely, you probably catch it, but they're getting very sophisticated on that. And so- yeah. So we built solutions to intercept and stop that. Like we saw that really bothered us. So we built something to stop that. But that's one way that identity theft happens, right? The other thing is it's not like pure theft. Folks, they'll either, like you can go find the old freight waves chart that shows number of new entrants in trucking and it's a hockey stick, right? And I've argued for a long time those weren't legitimate trucking companies. We will have bad actors, right? Call our brokers and say, oh, you found this one? I got a hundred MCs. I'll just get you with the next one. (sighs) Wow. Seriously. So you now have folks that are sitting on and holding hundreds of MCs, either that they've started or that they've quote unquote bought. And here's how the buy works. Hey, I want to buy your company, your one truck company, whatever. I'll give you five grand. I'll give you 10 grand, but you got to give me all your email passwords and logins and stuff. And like the company never changes ownership. The seller doesn't know. They get their money and they give away all their stuff. And they're like, oh, I sold the company. And what the bad actors are doing is just getting control of the MC number and the login credentials of the carrier long enough to go do bad things with that MC until they get caught. But they've, they're probably sitting on two or three more to go do that with. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. Most businesses, I see my partners in real life. I, if I go to the store and I buy something, I'm, I'm touching it. I, I put it in my cart. I, I walk out, I see the, the, the merchant. And um, in our business, I might be a customer in Texas and I work with a freight broker in California and the carriers that I work with are all over the country and I don't know any of their names. And it's worked remarkably well for a long time. And I think you mentioned some of the reasons, COVID being one of them, but the digital freight matching. So just some all, just the nature of digital freight matching means I don't have as many phone calls where I say, yes, I actually talk to Michael Caney three times a week about something. Now we're doing it digitally. And so we opened ourselves up by getting faster and more efficient. We opened some of these doors up to fraud. And again, criminals are always willing and able to become a little more sophisticated to take our money. (laughs) The other problem is like they know how our systems work because we do things like post tip sheets on the internet. I don't understand why people do that. There are bad actors that literally know how to go. There are a couple of other providers that do what I would call packets and insurance. And there are bad actors that know how to, oh, all you have to do is go over to that screen and do this rule override and then you can get me in. Because the goal was get the carrier in. How do I get the carrier onboarded? And there are bad actors that they'll tell you where to go click and what override to put in. Like they know our systems. We, like we've told them how to do it. Yeah. I've thought about this and this is a, a very nasty analogy, but I'll say it anyway. We've seen school shootings in the United States. Horrible. And one of the things I've always said is the nature of the way school systems are set up. You have a superintendent and a whole bunch of principals answer to that superintendent. You typically wouldn't see head of security answering to the superintendent and him saying, I have a, my security team at one of these. It's a paradigm shift that you go, oh, I hate that we even have to have that paradigm shift, but we do have to have that paradigm shift. And I think in a lot of ways, what we're discussing here is similar. We never thought I need a security officer. I need somebody to defend me from all of the different forms of cyber fraud that's happening. And it's not just cyber fraud. It's And, that, and that's why we think of it different, right? So, so ex- what existing vendors are trying to do is take platforms that were designed for onboarding and certificate management, and they're trying to back into cyber and identity. We started with cyber and identity. And what we say is like, the onboarding part's really actually easy. That's actually the easiest part now. That's not cute anymore. It used to be, but it's not anymore. Anybody can do that. The hard part is the identity piece, right? So think about this way. You brought up banking. Like the Visa story. The Visa story is a really cool story. Way back in the day, I remember when I was a kid, if you were going to make a big purchase on a credit card, 
Remember, they would pick up the phone and make and call somebody. Yes. <laughs> right? And so what they're doing is they're calling their merchant bank and then that merchant bank is calling the cardholders and then they got to call back and can you buy your $500 refrigerator? And if it was under 50 bucks, like they just ran it. They just did a little, remember the swipey thing that did the carbon? They just did that, right? That's how this is, that's how trucking companies and brokers have been doing business. You fill out a form and then, then you call a friend and you go, you ever work with this guy? And you go, well, I don't really see anything on this website or... Better yet, you go to a conference, you get on LinkedIn, and you have a checklist that's a mile long that, oh, by the way, the bad actors read it. They're probably the only ones who read it. <laughs> yeah. And so like, just think about how asinine that is. Like, Literally, nothing in the world functions that way. We're going to put $250,000 worth of cargo on a truck, and we're going to reduce our risk management to following a checklist. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are helping us catch up. So it's interesting, Michael, and again, this is a little off topic, but- a consulting company reached out to me recently and they said, we want your help, blah, blah, blah. I'm not I'm too busy to do help them. But the problem they're having is a really big company, everyone would recognize their name, is dropping off at a really large retailer. You would all recognize the name. And they're not getting their proof of delivery and they're not able to invoice because of this. So they've lost millions of dollars because one of the largest companies in America can't get a proof of delivery at a location of another largest company in America. And you go, proof of delivery? What? Like, like, yeah. Why is this the issue? Yeah. We're still talking about this? Yeah. It, it just seems to me like, could I take a picture of the proof of delivery when they sign it and just text it to you? Would that be possible? That's not even being high tech, but it was shocking to me that we we're having that conversation. And this is not an easy business. It's it's easy to get digital inside your four walls. When you throw a whole bunch of players and stretch it out across the whole planet, it gets a little more difficult. But let's talk about solutions. So somebody's listening and says, yes, Michael Caney, I do not want to have all the bad things happen to me. Help me. What Walk us through what it, what happens when, some, when somebody calls, a freight broker calls you and says, let's get started. Yeah, I would say a couple of things. So preface to that, I would say there isn't like an all you have to do is. Like there isn't one solution. Easy button? Do you guys have an easy yeah. button? There? Well, I mean, we are the easy button. <laughs> but what I'm saying is like if you're a freight broker, let me say it this way. There is not a lack of information and there is not a lack of truly, I joke and I love hyperbole, but there are people that are publishing things and have hosting conferences and they, in their heart of hearts, are trying to do the right thing. It's just too much information, Joe. It's too much for people to catch up with. And oftentimes by the time we learn something, it's old, right? So here's the solution, right? We think about it in, in kind of three areas. One is when we think about fraud and protection, you need to think about reducing your total surface area of risk. So go back to my earlier analogy. I've got 25,000 carriers under contract and I post things on the internet and I got digital, right? Actually, no, actually, no. We want to reduce the total surface area. We want to actually, we don't want to onboard everybody. We don't want to talk about how big our certificate pool is and how many carriers we onboard. We actually want to say, wait a minute, we're going to keep all the bad guys out and make sure the only people that get in are the people you want to be doing business with. So we want to reduce total surface area. The second is we want to make you a really hard target. So how do you become a hard target? Well, it's multiple things, right? First of all, you got to be working with a vendor that's constantly updating attack vectors and is using system and logic and technology to automate you guys. those attack vectors, right? How are attacks coming in? And the broker shouldn't have to think about it. Like we should, highway should have to take the responsibility of updating those attack vectors, keeping brokers safe, right? So hardest target. The third is like, there's good guys and bad guys. Full stop. And if you don't, if we don't know you're a good guy, we're going to give you a way to prove it, but we're not going to assume that you are. We're not going to tell you that because you don't, yeah, we're not going to tell you that because you don't have inspections. Like we're not going to pick some random metric and say, well, that's the one that's the smoking gun. We're going to say, no, there's a way to self heal. Just like we all had to establish credit, right? Like we didn't all start with an 800 credit score, right? Like we had to establish that. It's the same thing. We're going to give you, we're going to give the carrier because here's what we believe. There are really great motor carriers out there. Most. <laughs> yeah. And if we can get, and they're the ones that are most susceptible 
If I were to pull all the identity alerts that we put on motor carriers, and when I say an identity alert, meaning be on guard, this person at this phone and this email is trying to impersonate this carrier, it's all small carriers, it's, it, which is most of the truckload market, right? 20 trucks or less, most of the truckload market. We do a lot to protect that carrier, to keep them in business. And so we want to help those carriers get away from bad brokers. We're actually building a motor carrier product for that. And we want to help brokers find the best carriers. It's not enough to just turn them off. Like I tell people when they buy from me that I'm going to turn off 15 to 20% of your network on day one. They're just going to go away. Until they prove themselves. No, most of the time it's bad. They ain't coming back. It's that bad. Oh, really? Oh, okay. So these aren't companies you've never heard of. These are companies that you disapprove of. Yeah. These are companies that may have moved a load or two and you didn't get bit, but we've seen things and we're going to, we're going to take them out of your network. So back to your question of how, right? The first thing we do is like you would in a cyber, we would do, we do a threat assessment. So our engineers take all their MC numbers and we run an impact report and we say, Hey, here's how the world looks today for you. Here's our solution. And here's what the world could look like with highway. And we just do a basic kind of risk and threat assessment and tell you like what the status of your network is. That's step one. And then we go to work at reestablishing kind of some of those protocols. And then that's layer one. That's the identity piece. And then we give brokers a lot of ability in terms of how they want to do business with carriers. We have multiple ways that they can automate flows around types of carriers based on insurance and footprint and carrier size. And, and they can create business rules that they don't have to manage. It's automatic. It's, it feeds into their TMS. And it's really elegant. It's really elegant. So when you delete, is, is there, wrong way to say it. Right now, is there a, a list of, I'm assuming it'd be tens of thousands of carriers that are approved highway carriers that you would say, yeah, those are on, those are on the, the good list. Santa's going to come to their house at Christmas. Yeah. So you can't think of it as I would encourage you to think about it like a credit score or a fight. We don't score. Okay. But I would encourage you to think about it like everybody. It. There's a spectrum. Yeah, there's a spectrum. And so there are carriers that like, they have a verified identity. Is a motor carrier has truck. Also overbooks their market by 300%. Also has only ever logged in from outside North America. Also. Okay. I get it. I get it. Right. So we actually want them in highway. There is no stay out of highway. No, we want them all in. And we want to be able to tell you about the carrier. You're giving me the risk profile, which is, Joe, you're dancing on the ragged edge of secure here. <laughs> and so that carrier is just going to fail. back in the shallow end, Joe. You do not belong yeah, over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so we're going we're gonna to build the risk profile for the broker, and that carrier is just going to fail out until something changes. And like when we look at that, it's not an opinion. Like We're looking at hard data and telling you, this is literally what this carrier is doing in the market. And it's ones and zeros, man. It's not an opinion. It's not a, it's, this is not Yelp for right. motor carriers. But this is a big deal because I think, and, and it's not going to be the large carriers that they're large brokers that this happened to, but a small broker, I'm assuming a lot of small brokers are one bad fraud incident away from out of business. Am I right to say that? Yeah. Out of business. But I would also tell you this too. There are large brokers that are one incident away from losing a top 10 customer. Uh, that's just isn't maybe more important because if you should lose something that a load that's got a hundred thousand dollars and you say sorry about that it won't happen again and they say yeah you're right we won't be working yeah think about it this way right Let, let's just say you're a fifty million dollar business right and in a company that size it's not uncommon for a single customer to represent anywhere from ten to twenty five percent of that fifty million dollar broker's business it's just not uncommon it's typically like the founder's customer that got him in business like. Very similar story, right? You've done this a while, Joe. You know what I'm talking about. So if they're getting several hundred loads a month, that that employs a pod of two or three, four people. So like, even if it's not a business-ending event, like that's three or four people's income. That's a significant... You take that with rate compression. Reputation is important too. Nobody wants to be part of this. This is the story you don't want to be part of. So... Getting back to it, if when people come to you, how long does it take for you guys to implement the solution? Uh, you mentioned getting rid of a lot of the bad actors who are in their their current. How long from from the time they call you to the time they say we're in much better shape security wise? Yeah, we've had brokers live in a week. What I would say is that timeline 
is very dependent on their own, the size of the broker, right? Because there's a, it's not us. We can go really fast. It has to do with their technical resource availability and the amount of training that we have to do. So when we take a billion dollar broker live, it's a big change management. So we, we do a lot of work to step them into that. Is, is there an integration where the highway technology integrates with their transportation management system? Oh, always, 100%. So that's the piece, right? Is and that's what's the that pretty How quick. fast can they go? Yeah, we go fast. Yeah, We're integrated with all the, the big ones that matter. And the proprietary ones are actually easy for us because we don't have to deal with it. We have really modern APIs and their dev teams Isn't typically love it. Michael, that used to be something that people would go, if you can find a guy, he's going to want $10,000 a week. And so I'll say in eight weeks from now, he'll start and it'll be about 10 weeks. You'll pay him 80 grand and then you'll be integrated. Nope, not acceptable. Now we're like APIs. We turn that on quick. So once, once they have you on up and running, now every new carrier relationship they enter into is that one, you guys are part of that assessment. Mm -hmm. So we've done it a couple of different ways. Typically we do the threat assessment and the, the broker then gets to make some business and risk decisions. So typically what almost every broker does is they send us their top carriers and we're like, these are the ones that we can't live without. And we've had a couple of times where we're like, did you know that your top carrier is 100% a double broker? And they're like, huh? But they have trailer pools and they don't own anything they're doing. Like we've had that happen. Are there ever situations in that case where they say, okay, we'll update our paperwork and we're going to be okay, we'll be clean? Or is that usually, nope, can't give them the clean bill of health even if? What, here's what I would say. In, in egregious situations, it rarely solves. Now, I have seen, we, we have this like, list of bad guys that we use for demos. Let me show you this guy. And we had two or three that cleaned their act up because we got them turned off of so many brokers. They had scheduled auto issues and address issues. And we like brokers were doing business with them. We suddenly turned the lights on. All those kind of wink, wink things, right? They were cutting corners. And there, I can tell you two or three carriers, they redid their insurance program. They got off of scheduled autos. Like they redid because they lost so much business because they were operating in these shades of gray that were incredibly problematic. And so it's cool. It's cool to see that impact, right? They get their business back. They spend a little money. They get legitimate insurance, those kind of things. So the broker, we had a billion dollar broker re-onboard every single carrier. They said, we're going to update their, We're going to update our agreement and we're going to make every single carrier re-onboard through highways checks because there's too many things we don't know. We want them to go through the identity challenge process. And so we redid their entire network. If they're working with a Fortune 500 company, if you're a billion dollar broker, you're working with a Fortune 500 company, even a Fortune 1000 company, yeah. they're going to have upgraded their systems, not only their financial systems, but also their tech systems in the last few years to meet all the other regulations. Because I think the bars has gotten higher for the shippers. So the shippers expectation is if I'm working with a large uh, broker, that they are every bit as secure as we are. I'm not working with mom, and pa. I can't afford it at this point. One of the things that we're able to provide to a broker that they can turn around and sell to their shippers, we're the only company in the space that does anything like what we do that operates in a controlled environment that is audited. Like we, we carry a SOC 2 type 2 designation. That's a big deal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's not easy to get sucked. <laughs> so we brought up Ryder and, and our friend Kevin. When we went through Ryder's InfoSec, like that was not hard for us. So we go through InfoSec processes and typically like we send all of our documentation. And, oh, this is great. Like they're very surprised. So it, it, it's not just me saying it. Like we have independent auditors that look at our controlled environment, look at our data controls, look at our risk controls. Like they don't give that stuff away, Joe. That's not like a, like a smart way thing where you just sign some paperwork. Like that's a real thing. Right. This is transportation, logistics, three PLs, all of it has been yep. an immature business compared to many others. And what we've seen over the last decade for sure is that maturation. We're starting to see a lot of top freight brokers and logistics companies, transportation companies, whatever you want to call them, are now the largest companies in the world. Not just the shipping companies, 
the CH Robinsons and the TQLs and the Riders, these are huge companies. And that again, the bar is higher for those kind of types of companies. Anyway, enough of my blather. Put a big bow on this. This is a big topic, but put a big bow on this for us and tell us why we should, by the way, Michael Caney, before you do that, I'm going to put a link to your LinkedIn profile, put a link to your website, any other links you give me, your marketing team. I'll also put a link to the interview I did with Jordan Graff uh, last year. Put a big bow on this for me, Michael Caney. Man, here's the big bow. I, if you're a freight broker, I want to help you win more business. I want to help you make more money by taking all of this noise out of your network. I don't want you to have to do this. I did this job. It's terrible. It's hard to do. Like the risk management piece, being a broker is great, but having to constantly keep up with changing attack vectors that evolve, like having to constantly keep up with what feels like an army of people that are after your business, it's very difficult. I want to do that for you. Like I want you to be able to serve your shippers really well. That's why I only sell to you if you're a freight broker. I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to take your data and try to go up market and go raise much capital and say, I'm going to go settle shippers. Like not what we're going to do. Yep. This is one more of those things that became table stakes. Not, not so long ago, having a TMS was a big upgrade. Now just table stakes. Having a TMS that can easily bring in the killer apps like the like Highway and Green Screens and uh, Project 44 and Four Kites and all the others. The bar just keeps getting higher. And I feel like this is now what you're describing is table stakes because everybody knows it's out there. If it's in the Wall Street Journal, that means the largest shippers in the world have already been exposed to it. Maybe they've already been victimized. So it's table stakes. We have to do it. The other part of that is, right, once we clean the house, we want to make it easier for you to do business with the good guys that are in the house. So since you interviewed Jordan, we've released three other products. Like we've got load lock and load limit and our Outlook plugin. Like we now have, and we're the only person that is, we now have full protection, both at the network level and the transaction level. We can make sure that every rate confirmation that goes out of your company is secure. Tell you where it goes. So it's not, it starts with identity, but overall, like we want brokers to flourish. We want them to thrive. We are not in the disintermediate freight brokers camp. We don't believe in that. I think there's probably several thousand brokers that should go away, Joe, but we are in the, let's consolidate all of the good carriers and all of the good brokers. And, and so here's the bow. The bow is trust. Right. And there's some folks that have tried to hijack this narrative, but here's the reality. The Covey organization came out with a book called Speed of Trust. And here's what they said. Here's I the love that premise. book. Do you love that book? It's great, right? We did that. We implemented the program in a couple of businesses I was in. I love it. And the, the premise is this that when trust is low, you pay trust taxes. So when you think about the problem and why there's checklists and conferences and brokers and carry reps getting fired for not doing, we're, we don't trust who we're doing business with. So we do all of these things. The guy's in St. Louis and his last name is Smith and he's left-handed and his mom's name is Sue, then put him through this thing. We come up with all these weird things. When you bring trust back in, what Covey says is you get trust dividends. You go faster. And so organizations move at the speed of trust. And what we're here to say is, look, we want to be able to clean it up. So brokers and carriers, it's both, it's a two-sided deal. This isn't just for brokers, it's for carriers too, so that you can trust who you're doing business with. And the more that you trust and the more transparency that exists, like the better it is. They will, like carriers and brokers both flourish economically. And so that's what I would say. That's where you're bringing trust back between brokers and carriers. I love it. I love it. And again, that speed of trust, I've always said that, if you're working with someone for years, there's a shorthand where I say, oh, I didn't tell Michael that it was needed to be strapped down this certain way. He already knows that because we've been working together for years. I don't even, if I miss something, he goes, hey, Joe, did you forget your doc is closed at four o'clock on Wednesday? Oh, yeah, I forgot. That's the speed of trust that we all need to get to. And I call it sometimes account familiarity. When I was still selling logistics and transportation services, I would always say that account familiarity is so important because my carrier knows where, knows your dock guys. He also knows where he's delivering to. There's no startup cost. There's no, I don't trust you and I don't know you cost. And that makes, you know, that trust is the grease that keeps things moving fast. And uh, that's what we need. And I think that you're smart to say, this isn't to slow you down. This is to speed you up. There'll be an initial slowdown where you have to clean up your act, but then from then on, you're going much faster. 
Yeah, you're actually like our average onboard time is four minutes. Like we're solving for we're solving for those cases that are going to burn you. The good guys should get to go fast. They should get to go fast. We know who the good guys are. We're going to help them go fast. I love it. So again, I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile. Put a link to your website and any links you and your marketing team give me. Michael Caney, I like to interview smart, interesting people like you. People who are killing it in the space. Who else should I talk to? Oh man, I love my friend Haley Evans that runs sales at Triumph Pay. So much more than a payments business or bank. Like they're really building. They're just they're they're doing some very innovative things in terms of building payment networks and taking unstructured data and making it structured and and just really speeding that up. And then my friend Steve Bryan that runs a company called Blue Wire. Really love what they do. We have their data in Highway. Highway doesn't deal with risk and safety. We have that data. We can give it to you. We can send it to you an API. But BlueWire has a very interesting way of helping shippers, carriers, brokers think about risk, not just as it relates to like black and white safety risk, but also as it relates to potential legal liability. And so I think you should talk to Steve. They're doing some really neat things at Blue now, Art. I just saw Haley Evans speak at Triumph at TIA, and she was. I would love to have her. So yes, yeah, I've talked. I've exchanged emails with her. I talked to her at TIA. I would love to have her. And who was the other guy? You said Stephen. Who at Steve Bryan? Steve Bryan. Steve ran a company along uh, a while back called Vigilo. He started a company called Blue Wire, um, and they do some really interesting work on looking at judicial hellholes. The way certain uh, areas of the country think about verdicts and litigation and yeah, those nuclear verdicts that can put companies out of business. And by the way, one of the things that you see the same things I do from freight waves every once in a while, you'll see an article from freight waves and it'll be some company going out of business and you go, Oh, sorry to hear that. A lot of times it's third, fourth generation trucking companies. And by the way, they keep their brokerage and that's a good point. And one of the thoughts I've always had is they probably were fully insured. They have all these trucks. They're doing it the right way. They aren't cutting corners. And when the rates go really low, it just becomes a very painful business to be in. And I sometimes think that we push and push on the rates and then end up have asking or not asking, requiring <laughs> uh, somebody to cut corners to make a buck. And I think you'll see certain carriers say, we aren't going to play in that market. I tell you somebody else, there's a, there's a gentleman, Adam Wingfield. He runs a company called Innovative Logistics Group. And he really specializes in consulting small carriers on just this kind of thing. But here's the other thing I'll tell you too, that you see, if you've ever talked to Spencer Tenney, he looks at a lot of family businesses. Oh yeah, just, it just interviewed him last week. <laughs> yeah, I love Spencer. But, but oftentimes in those third, fourth generation businesses, they're family businesses and it was there was a lot of siphoning off of the profits for lifestyle over the last few years. <laughs> yeah, that can happen too. <laughs> and so a lot of what you're really talking about, Joe, is just a overall, it's just a lack of discipline. This is a hard business. You can't be sloppy and and it doesn't take much to uh put a company in bad shape. Not at all. Two or three two or three negative events and it's a bad deal. What conferences will I see the fine folks from Highway at? I, by the way, I already know the answer because I can't go to an event where Highway's not there. <laughs> so, Michael Kane, where will we see you in that? I know. Highway? Just to the world, if you guys could quit creating new conferences, I'd really appreciate it because I feel like I have to be at all of them all of a sudden. Man, we're, we are excited about a couple of things. We will be this month, we'll have some people in Las Vegas at the National Star Mail Route Carriers Conference, which is the- That's January, yep. Yeah, trade association that helps the motor carrier group for the U.S. Postal Service will be there. Be at Manifest. Hopefully, I'll see you. I'll see you at Manifest, Joe. We'll be at Manifest. Yes, you will. I will be there. And then throughout the year, the usual stuff. You, I think. We'll see I'm you really TIA excited about the yeah TI in April. I'm excited about the Broker Carrier Summit. Missed it last year. Going to have a team. Yeah, doing some things there this year. Where's that at? I don't know. I should know. I will have Dan Lindsay back on the podcast to talk about um, the Broker yeah. Carrier Summit. Dan's a good guy. Uh, all, all the FreightWave stuff. I'm really excited that their supply chain event's going to be in Atlanta because I can just drive. Hallelujah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll be there. Yeah. And, and there's things that pop up in the summer. There's regional stuff. We do. We like doing things with the TCA benchmarking groups. I really enjoy small regional events that I feel like pop up where I can 
talk to 20, 30 companies and dig into some things. Those are a lot of fun. So we'll beat all the big ones and hopefully we'll a get lot to of some small smaller ones, ones too. too. And yeah. And so if you're a broker and you haven't already talked to Highway, it is time because this problem isn't going to go away. And I think increasingly you're going to see shippers saying, what are you doing to prevent <laughs> this problem? And you want to have an answer. This is table stakes if you ask me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Michael Caney. I'm glad I finally got a chance to interview you. Thanks for taking the time. Joe, it's been so much fun. Thanks for having me on. Love your show. Thanks for what you do to bring awareness to freight brokers. And it's so good to be with you. Thank you. Ah, oh, that's very kind of you to say. You're very welcome. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You have been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage with leaders in the logistics and supply chain community. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, hit the like button, and leave us a nice review on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you listen. Also, please check out our videos on YouTube and connect with us on LinkedIn. We're very big on LinkedIn. And you can also reach us on the logistics of logistics.com, our website.